Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I am a Catholic youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this episode, we are going to go through part 4 of our series on the Lord's Prayer. We are going to conclude with this part. This is the last one for this series and so if you haven't listened to parts 1, 2, 3 yet, I would advise you to pause this for a while, go back to those episodes, give it a listen, and then find your way back here. We will surely be here when you get back. Here on part 4, we are going to talk about the last section of the Lord's Prayer, which is, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The way we're going to go through it is we're going to divide it into three parts. Part one is about the bread, part two is about the trespasses, and part three is about the temptation. And so, with all of that said, let's get started. Alright, here we go. We are on the last installment of our series. This is the first series that we did for this podcast. And like I said, this is part of how we are going through Lent. Basically, I am recording this during the Lenten season. And my goal really is to help you understand and appreciate this prayer more. If you are a Catholic or a Christian, may this series give you a greater, deeper understanding, knowledge of the things that we believe of what we mean when we say this prayer, but most importantly, your relationship with the Lord, how well you know Him, how well you relate with Him, you connect with Him, and you follow Him, of course. If you are coming from an outside perspective, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Catholic or a Christian, at least I hope this was helpful in helping you learn something new, in leading you to understand better some of the things that we believe as Catholics and as Christians. This is, of course, some of my research and my reflections on the issue. A lot of other speakers and authors, theologians, Bible teachers have thought about this, have their own take on this very rich prayer and this is not meant to be exhaustive. This is meant to be at least a beginning, a first step, an open door into learning more about what the Lord's Prayer is really all about and the even greater truth that it expresses beyond that. And so let's get started for today. Like I said, we are going to subdivide part four, this last section of the Lord's Prayer, into three. This last section, if you remember from part one when we had our introduction, this is the part that is mostly focused on us, the human family, human beings. If you remember, the first half is all about the Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here, on the second part, it's still addressed to the Father, but the pronouns shift. It's not your, your, your anymore. Now it's we, our, us. You'll notice it right away when it says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us. You get it, right? The second part or this, this, this part of the Lord's Prayer, it's addressed to God but it's about the petitions. It contains the petitions that are for us as human beings. And during that first part, we related it to the greatest commandment, 
which goes first, love the Lord your God, and then second, love your neighbor as yourself. The way we're going to go through it, subdivided into three parts, and the first part is the first line. It says, give us this day our daily bread. In the verses, in Matthew's Gospel account, the verses right before Jesus speaks this prayer, teaches this prayer to his followers. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, In praying, do not babble like the pagans, who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's very interesting. No, because some people would ask, if, if God already knows, then why do I have to pray? Why do I have to tell Him something that He already knows? But you see, the way Jesus sees it, it's the complete opposite. For Jesus, your Father already knows. And so pray. And so come to Him. And so tell Him what you need. Tell, approach Him with an open heart. As in, Jesus draws the complete opposite conclusion from what most people today, or at least most people who would question prayer today, would draw. It's not, God already knows, so why should I pray? Jesus makes it the point to say that God already knows, and so pray. Pray, give it up to Him, lift it up to Him, and do not be pressured. You don't have to use many words and many formulas to try to convince God to be on your side. God is already on your side, and so pray. Approach Him like a good Father, like the good Father that He is. This is all about God's provision, how God provides. And if you were to look up the etymology of the word provide, it comes from the two words pro and videre. Pro before, videre, which is to see. So God sees before. God knows what you need before you even ask Him. In the Catechism, paragraph 2828, it says, Give us. The trust of children who look to their father for everything is beautiful. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He gives to all the living their food in due season. Jesus teaches us this petition because it glorifies our father by acknowledging how good he is beyond all goodness. So you see, in this petition, there is a relational dimension. As we began the prayer by referring to God as our Father, here we are not just calling Him Father, we are treating Him as children would treat the Father, by relying on Him, depending on how He provides, on how He gives. Give us this day our daily bread. But at the same time, there is a relational dimension to this, but there is also a social dimension to this. Because it doesn't just say, give me, it says, give us, us, we. And like we said in the greatest commandment, Jesus taught us to love our neighbor as ourself. That the second commandment, that second commandment is on the same level, is the same as the first one, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Here, going back to the Catechism, paragraphs 2831 to 2832, it says, but the presence of those who hunger because they lack bread opens up another profound meaning of this petition. The drama of hunger in the world calls Christians who pray sincerely to exercise responsibility toward their brethren. 
both in their personal behavior and in their solidarity with the human family. As leaven in the dough, the newness of the kingdom should make the earth rise by the Spirit of Christ. This must be shown by the establishment of justice in personal and social, economic and international relations without ever forgetting that there are no just structures without people who want to be just. We talked about this during the very first episode of this podcast about how when God moves, He sends people. We are made in the image and likeness of God and part of what that means is that we are called to live in such a way that when people look at us and our lives, people are reminded of God. People get to know God more through how we live. In the same way that if I were to see a photo of someone, I am reminded of that person. That person is not the photo, but the photo points me toward that person. We, as image-bearing children of God, are called to live in such a way that when people see us, they are pointed toward the Lord. And I, I elaborate more on that on the first episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would recommend that you go back to that too. The beauty of this prayer is that it moves you. Remember, we talked about this last episode. It's not just may your will be done, bahala na si Batman, bahala na si Lord, and then uh, there's nothing for me to do. No, it's may your will be done, yes, in a sovereign sense, the Lord's will, but in the same way, it's may your will be done in me. We are a part of this. This is a prayer with a social dimension, as in. That's why it's we, us, our, and not just I, me, and myself. It moves us. It calls us to be moved. It's our Father, not just my Father. You see, the ancient Jews, they had a tradition of praying multiple times a day. So try to imagine yourself. This could be a good practice. If you were to pray the Lord's Prayer in set times of the day, like the ancient Jews would or some modern Jews would, if you were to pray this prayer, say, every 12 noon and every 3 p.m. or every 6 a.m. or every 6 p.m., so try to determine, okay, wherever you are, this is something that will shake your perspective. You might find yourself riding a bus or in, in the middle of a commute or driving somewhere or eating somewhere and you start praying. Uh, you start praying the Lord's Prayer and you get to this part, give us this day our daily bread, and you might just see someone who is in need of that of that kind of daily bread. It moves you. This prayer is meant to move you. It has a social dimension because like I said, if God is our father, my father, your father, his father, then that makes us brothers and sisters. There's a relational dimension. There's a social dimension. And then the third one is that there is a spiritual dimension. What do we mean by that? In the Catechism, paragraph 2835, it says, this petition with the responsibility it involves also applies to another hunger from which men are perishing. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is, by the word he speaks and the spirit he breathes forth, Christians must make every effort to proclaim the good news to the poor. There is a famine on earth. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. For this reason, the specifically Christian sense of this fourth petition concerns the bread of life, the word of God accepted in faith, the body of Christ received in the Eucharist. It is no accident that Jesus uses 
the word bread, the image of bread. Bread is meant to point us towards something else, something greater, something that he later on teaches about in John chapter 6 when he talks about his body being the bread of life. This is something that is it is pointed toward the Last Supper when he lifts up the bread, thanks God for it, breaks it, and hands it to his disciples saying, this is my body. There's a spiritual dimension to this and this is what we, this is part of what we acknowledge, of what we see when we receive the Eucharist during the Holy Mass. This is the bread of life. As much as we are in need of physical bread, of sustenance in our physical life, we are in need of spiritual sustenance. We are in need of the bread of life that Jesus offers us through his church. There is a hunger that we are battling nowadays, a hunger that is not just physical hunger. And we see this because right and left, people are looking for something more, for something greater, for meaning in their lives. And it's crazy how many people would resort to all sorts of things. Some people, as in lost people, would would resort to violence, would resort to control, would resort to power. Some people would go the other route and resort to some form of activism, some form of social work, some form of getting involved in the society, which is not bad, but it's not God. And the thing about these things, these, these are things that we call idols. An idol is a good thing that is treated as an ultimate, treated in the same place as the Lord. And because it is not the Lord, it does not suffice. It is not enough. And because we treat it as the Lord, we try to draw our sense of meaning from these things, whether that's some form of engagement, involvement, or how we look, or how people perceive us, or what our definition of success may be. The problem is, we could get to these things, we could achieve these things, and yet still feel so empty, and yet still feel so unfulfilled, because the true hunger in our hearts were never met. They were never met. Whereas, if we pursue the Lord, the scripture says that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It's not wrong to pursue a relationship, to pursue an advocacy, to pursue something that you consider meaningful in your life, but we need to put the Lord first because the Lord is the ultimate source of fulfillment. The Lord is the ultimate source of nourishment. And if we are properly aligned with God, then that life that he has to offer flows out into these other things, these other expressions of how we are involved in society. And it makes it even better. It makes it even rich. It gives it its proper root. People nowadays are hungry. I mean, how does it happen that a lot of the countries that you would consider successful, like South Korea in terms of their economics, in terms of their culture and uh, some of the Scandinavian countries are some of the countries with very high rates of suicide. How can it be? But you see, the reality is that sometimes if there are things that you lack in your life, as in physically, it, it, you can, it can still be in a way easier for you because at least you have something to blame. Oh, I'm not happy because of this. I'm not fulfilled because of that. I don't have this. I don't have that. If I were to have that, then I would be fulfilled. However, if you look at the lives of the people who do have that already, They run out of things to blame and they are faced with the even greater truth that they have to face, which is, why am I still unfulfilled? I thought this would make me happy. I thought this was what I needed, 
but it turns out that it was not. I've had my share of those experiences, although not to that extent for sure. When I tried to, I tried to gain my fulfillment. I, I tried to gain that kind of happiness <laughs> through other means, through what people think of me. Because I always thought that I was a smart one, that I was the one with authority, that I knew everything, that I was ever reliable, but I failed too. And no matter how hard I tried to present myself as ever reliable, as the guy who always says yes, as the guy who goes the extra mile for everyone, I am just not that. I try, but I fail too. And when I fail, I disappoint others, but I, disapp I used to disappoint myself in an even greater extent. It wasn't until later on when I found, when I ex allowed myself to experience the love of the Lord, when I realized that, oh, I know, it doesn't work that way. I don't earn the love of others or the love of God by doing good things. No, it's the love of God that allows me to be able to do good things. It's the opposite way around. And I need to constantly remind myself, even now, to return back to the love of the Lord so that I would then be able to do these good things. Give us this day our daily bread. This is meant to be a daily thing. Not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not yearly bread. This is daily. Daily bread. We are called to rely on the Lord consistently, constantly, constantly receive. First part, again, is give us this day our daily bread. Second part is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is a big deal for Jesus. Super. Because right after this prayer, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 13 to 15, Jesus says, If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Oh, it's, so it's that big of a deal, right? Now you see, Jesus repeats this later on when he teaches about the parable of the unforgiving servant. As in later on, 12 chapters later, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about the unforgiving servant. The parable goes like this. There was this one guy who owed his master plenty, as in, if you were to describe it, it would be something along the lines of millions of pesos. Okay, millions of pesos. He owed his master millions of pesos. He asked for forgiveness from, for, for this debt, and his master forgives him. And then he runs across someone else, one of his friends, who owed him significantly little compared to the one that he owed. Let's say... If he owed his master 1 million pesos, this friend owed him 1,000. But he refused to forgive his friend of his debt, of that 1,000 peso debt. And so the master finds out about this and the master, well, he sends him off and he gets punished for it. He receives the consequence of his action because this man who was forgiven a lot, a lot, he refused to forgive his brother who owed him significantly less. And in verse 35 of that chapter, Jesus says, So will my heavenly Father do to you, unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. Now it can be easy to misunderstand this. What does it mean to someone to, to forgive someone from the heart? And the idea of the heart in, in Hebrew culture is that the heart is the center, not just of emotions, although that's part of it. The heart of, is the center of decision. The heart is the center of your will. You decide from the heart. You don't just feel from the heart. That's how we modern people think about it, right? And then we associate thinking as in brain power. We associate it with the mind, what happens in our heads. But for them, it was the heart. What we have separated between the, the, the head and the heart 
they have it together in the heart. So your heart is the center of your emotion, of your will, of your desires. And what Jesus is saying here is not that if you don't feel like forgiving, then your heavenly father will not forgive you also. That's not like that. No, it's that, it's that if you refuse to forgive, then there's something about God's forgiveness that you don't understand, that you don't get. And maybe that just might be what will keep you from fully receiving the forgiveness of the Father. If you refuse to forgive your brother who owed you 1,000 pesos, then do you truly understand the 1 million peso debt that your Heavenly Father has forgiven you? And in this case, it's more than 1 million pesos. It's more than 1 billion pesos. This is <laughs> eternal life. Jesus has forgiven us, has went through what he went through so that he could extend this life to us. That is a big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal for Jesus. And I talk about this more in one of my previous episodes about forgiveness. I'm going to put it in the description if you want to go back to it. But essentially, forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is how you forgive others. Your attitude towards forgiving others helps identify how you receive or how you have received already the grace of the Lord. Because if you really appreciate and know and understand the grace of God that has been extended to you, then you will be more forgiving of the people who have hurt you. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that if you struggle to forgive, then you're going to hell. No, of course not. But refusing is different from struggling. It's okay to struggle. But to refuse to forgive is a different thing. You are, in essence, hardening your heart there. And if you're hardening your heart, it, it, there's, it's worth asking, why? Why? What's keeping you? How can you not extend forgiveness? Might be difficult, like I said, and if it's difficult, that's okay. But to refuse to forgive is a different conversation altogether. And then the third one, the last part is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, an important clarification. God does not tempt us. Temptation does not come from the Lord, okay? In James chapter 1, verses 13 to 18, it says, No one experiencing temptation should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not subject to temptation to evil, and he himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire conceives and brings forth sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. All good giving and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no alteration or shadow caused by change. He willed to give us birth by word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Temptation does not come from the Lord. In the New Testament, what is being described as the, our enemies, at least in this state that we are in, there's three. There's three groups there. The first group is the flesh, which refers to our fallen human nature. Sometimes we have desires that we should not desire. There are things that we think are good, but in essence, or truly they are not good, and yet we think of them as good. We are fooled by our own flesh. This is in contrast with the spirit, as Paul writes about it in his letter. So the first one is the flesh. 
Second one is the world, which talks about human structures, unjust human structures, and how well, structures, which includes culture also, the fallen culture, which again, is subject to iniquity, which perceives some things that are not good as good and pursues it as such. And we live in this, in this we, since we are so interconnected, we live in this state where it can be so confusing sometimes. And even the culture and the structure of our society can lead us into sin. And the last one is the enemy, the devil. And so we also believe that there is a spiritual dimension when it comes to sin. And this was made clear from the very first book of the Bible when, when, well, when we see in, in the story of creation, the serpent there, and then right after that, we see in the sin of Cain that that evil or the enemy, that Satan is knocking at his doorstep, tempting him, luring him in so that it could unite with him in a sense. That is what is happening here. Temptation does not come from the Lord. However, because we are where we are right now, we experience temptation. And so our prayer is, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into sin. Father, help us. Help us. Give us the strength, Father. That is our prayer. That we be aligned more and more. That our hearts be purified so that we want what is good and that we perceive what is truly good. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform yourselves to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. This is where we are right now. This is the fallen world that we are in. And so while we are here, after receiving the grace of God, as we are receiving the grace of God as part of the church, as we were baptized, we want to pray that we have the strength to image him well to be faithful children to the Lord. In John chapter 17, 15, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And that slides smoothly into this the, the, the part of this, which also it says, deliver us from evil. Again, in the Catechism, paragraph 2853 to 2854, it says, Victory over the prince of this world was won once and for all at the hour when Jesus freely gave himself up to death to give us his life. This is the judgment of the world, and the prince of this world is cast out. When we ask to be delivered from the evil one, we pray as well to be freed from all evils present, past, and future, of which he is the author or instigator. In this final petition, the church brings before the Father all the distress of the world, Along with the deliverance from the evils that overwhelm humanity, she implores the precious gift of peace and the grace of perseverance in expectation of Christ's return. By praying in this way, she anticipates in humility of faith the gathering together of everyone and everything in him who has the keys of death and Hades, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Deliver us from evil. That is the last part of this prayer. And we see this in Jesus' passion, in his death, and his resurrection. But it starts even before that. It starts in his incarnation. <laughs> the fulfillment of, of, this, of this plan of salvation that the Lord has began ever since we fell comes to its fulfillment when Jesus entered 
our space, when heaven, in a sense, came down here on earth in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem. This is part of what we mean when we say that the Lord's Prayer is a summary of the gospel. We want to honor the Lord for who He is. Praise the Lord, our Father. Refer to Him as our Father. Relate with Him as a loving Father. Our Father, hallowed be Your name. May Your kingdom come in us. In us. And how does that happen? This is where we get to this part. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This part is more practical, if you may notice. As in the first part, we've been talking about worship and holiness and referring to God as the Father. What does that even mean? The kingdom, what does that even mean? And now we see the playing out of what this means, the second part of the greatest commandment. So after love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, you love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means. And this prayer is so, so rich. It's super short too. It's super short too. It's meant to be recited really and memorized. And my encouragement for you as we bring this to a close is to pray this prayer more and pray it Try to set times of the day in which you pray it. As in, try praying it every 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3 p.m. at least. If you want to if you want to play with that schedule, you could do that. You could do that. And allow this prayer to mess with you. Allow the Lord to mess with you through this prayer. Try to seek out how He's calling you. Try to seek out what He's revealing to you, especially now that we are in Lent. Like I said, we are preparing ourselves for Holy Week. We are preparing ourselves to celebrate Easter and to commemorate Good Friday. And right now, as we are here, may this prayer help us, help guide us, help purify us, and help draw us closer to the heart of the Father. That is my prayer for you. And what better way to close this off than by praying this together. So won't you join me as we pray? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening all the way through, for finishing this entire series. And uh, I am glad that we, we get to do this. If you want to stay connected, you can message me on Instagram or on Twitter. It's in the description. You'll find the links there. You could also join our Facebook group called Not So Secular Discussions and Questions, where we could connect more. If you want to join in on the stuff that are happening there, that would be great. And... Won't you give us a rating on Spotify, on Apple, on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to this that does help as well. And so if this has been helpful to you, share it also, give us a rating. That would be very much appreciated. And so that is it for today. Thank you very much, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.